shit. Let's just end breaking news. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. All right, all right, all right. No bullshit news hour, July 10th, 2020. The only hour of news you need this week. Let's face it. Let's just boil it down. No puppies. Serious stuff. I'm going to be honest. I called my wife, Karen, and I said, Am I even doing the right thing here? I, I don't even know. You know what I mean? It's uh, Charlie. Yeah. Don't second guess yourself, man. You I'm a are human. doing the right thing. You are. Well, I look. I don't mean to be a downer, but I just think you guys need to know this stuff. So we're gonna what we're gonna do today is we're gonna go over Gretchen Whitmer's answers on the Fox Two Town Hall this week because we didn't really get any answers on that town hall. It was pretty light in the information she was kicking out. So I'm going to give it to you because it's important that we have the answers because we're in the middle of a pandemic and I want the answers. We deserve them. And I am really, really happy to have on the, probably the most interesting cop I've ever met. Hmm. Ira Todd, the senior interrogator for the Detroit Police Department. He's recently retired, 35 years on the job. He did Gang Squad. He's got a TV show on stars called The Wrong Man. Uh, ooh. <laughs> Did you hear that? He was, charged with, he was charged with murder himself on the wow. job. He's wow. legendary, Charlie. He is. Uh, he is. He's going to come and talk the real because we're not going to talk to experts. We're going to talk to the real. We got a war in the streets, Karen. Another quintuple shooting last night. Not to the great shame. Nothing in the media. That's the third quintuple shooting. Third mass shooting in Detroit in a week. So that's the news. Um, but first I want to say uh, No Bullshit News Hour is brought to you by the world's strongest coffee. Hey. I love world's strongest coffee, dude. Go to deathwishcoffee.com slash Drew. And use the code DREW15, deathwishcoffee.com, um, slash Drew, put in DREW15, and get 15% off the entire order. Yeah, it's charged pie. It's the world's strongest coffee, they say. Yep. Yeah, I want to try that. I saw the billboard, so I'm glad they're on board. I'm oh. going to give it a shot. I like coffee. So what's, so. what's the website, Karen, real quick? I will do that. Deathwishcoffee.com slash Drew. Drew 15 is yep. the code. For 15% off. I'll Beautiful. give it a shot. Thank you, Charlie. The No Bullshit News Hour is also brought to you by the world's strongest financial wealth advisor, <laughs> Luke Nowacki, who reminds you, if you're not the mayor's son getting hooked up with the Biden campaign, right? If you're not dead, if you, you have to work and you have to save, you need to start working at not working, now looking after your money, you call Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748. Grow your assets, annuities, individual retirement accounts, college savings. If you're getting that stimulus check, maybe, maybe you're going to play casino. <laughs> Talk to Luke. Make that call now. Your politicians, not to mention your children, are pending on you. Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748. Hit it.
Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Yeah! <laughs> I love that. Charlie, every time you read that and you say grow your assets, I always <laughs> I have the wrong thought when you start. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, nobody wants to do that. But okay, we do want to grow our assets. Pulled my I hamstring this morning, so speaking of What'd you do? I went jogging, barefoot. Really? Mile and a quarter in nine minutes. Why barefoot? I just like it. Do, don't, really? you, don't you remember that um, marathoner? Uh, Zola Bud? And, and he went with oh, no shoes. Zola mm-hmm. Bud had no shoes. Yep. And I only know that because didn't she run over uh, somebody in the Olympics? I don't remember. I don't know. Sorry. But it actually feels good. I run on the grass. Okay. Because I, I, I want to be honest, so you too cheap in- to buy shoes. I don't like to shop. Karen yes. does the shopping. Yes. I, you, but you know what, Charlie? I walk around on my property all the time with no shoes. I like walking around with no shoes, but that's why I don't like people to spit and throw trash. You know, I don't want to step in it. But I like walking around with no shoes. I do. I once, speaking of that, I was thinking about spit and you're like you're running barefoot. One time in New York City, in the rain, in Chinatown. I bet somebody five bucks I would stick my tongue in the sewer with the green radiator. Yeah. yeah. Yep. For how much? Five bucks. Really? Easiest five sure. ever made. Yeah. Yep. That is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but he's fine. It made him stronger, Karen. It did, Karen. So, you know, oh. that's the thing about COVID. Throw the website out about the T-shirt. People are asking. They oh. want to buy a shirt. So Look, we need, to start like it. A, we need to start a movement. We are starting a movement. These things have taken off, haven't they, Mark? Yeah, they're selling pretty good. Fix the shit. Go to DrewAndMikeStore.com. There's also no bullshit news hour. Yeah. But we need to fix the shit. I'm not a partisan. You got to know that. I was playing softball. A guy says to me, hey, man, you know, you're Trump, right? I love you enough. You're Trump, right? I go, I go, Fuck no, I'm not Trump. He goes, Biden He goes, you're Biden? I said, fuck no, I'm not Biden. And he said, well, who are you going for? I go, I'm looking for a third party, maybe libertarian. And then he went like this. I always hated it when people say, you don't get to complain about the president or your electorate if you don't vote. Sometimes not voting is the vote. It's the statement. So that's true. I'm look. I, I don't. That's true. I'm not gonna rip anybody, but like a lot of people suffered and died for your right to have it. You yeah. should try. Oh, but it's also your right not to if you don't like the candidates. That's exactly right. Well, but, it's a strategic process too, and you got to understand, especially when you talk about preliminaries and who's voting or not voting for who. That's going to end up in the general. It's it's a very strategic thing, but everybody should be engaged. In, in, in some Amen. capacity. Look, you should be knowledgeable, folks. Like, look, I, I'm, I'm, this is hard. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's because there's no other music playing. You're not getting information. I'm going to give you what's going on because you deserve to have it. And I know you don't get it because I'm watching the very prepared governor who I do believe I voted for. I don't remember. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did, Right. But you got to answer better than that. So when we're going to do a, a one hour with the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the health director of this state in the middle of COVID, I expect better answers than canned hams. And that's all I got because I need to know where this is going. Have we fixed it? It's important to say, in America, these cases are skyrocketing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the death totals are declining. 
the raw numbers of deaths, you know, the curve? Yes. It's now bottomed out and it's being along the bottom like that, right? Yeah. Hmm. Why? Where did all these deaths come from? Nursing homes. They, 50%, they estimate, of the country's dead were in these nursing homes. And the majority of those were in these five states, including ours, that commingled them. That's a big deal. We're still doing it. Let me ask you a nursing home question, um, because, you know, major spikes in uh, Florida, Texas, Arizona, California. Any nursing home spikes there? Or how are they treating the nursing home? Florida does not commingle. Texas will not commingle. Interesting. California was going to do what New York and, and Pennsylvania and Michigan did, and they listened to the healthcare industry and backed off of it. Hmm. So these cases, it's a very serious thing. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I'm in 7-Eleven, and the news there, I don't know if it's true, they're going to start enforcing fines for not wearing a mask in public on Monday, 500 bucks, right? And do good old boys like, good luck with that, my fucking country. And I'm, it is his country. And you know, he, fuck it, you ain't going to pay that. And, you, and we can't stop crime in Detroit. We're not going to be doing that. I don't think they're going to be issuing too many tickets. I think it's more a threat to yeah. show how serious it is. So 50% of the people that died in this country are one half of 1% of the population. So this was very important. And I don't know, you want to, did we, did we? It's queued up, yep. All this right. is uh, from Fox 2, Detroit's Facebook page. So it was an hour, there wasn't much there. They talked a lot about masks and, you know, racial equality and all that's all important. But the stuff we all care about, here it was, right here. Let's, let's see what she says. Many people are watching right now are asking you to address your early decision to put COVID-19 patients uh, and allow them to remain in those nursing homes. I want you to be able to address that in front of everybody. Pause. Oh, yeah, sure. Pause. That's not a question. No offense to my good friend, Rube Raj. They want you to address it. Yeah. Address what? What specifically? These people are slippery. You got to come with it. You got to know. It's a softball. But Charlie, this is the thing. If that were his approach, he wouldn't have access which is why she won't interview with you, which is why Mike Duggan won't interview with you. So let, I want everybody to see the, the differences here. So that type of approach will not garner you an interview. Well, look, here's the thing. Last time I interviewed the mayor, he walked himself into a grand jury because I'm coming with it. I'm not wasting your time out there. I'm certainly not going to waste my time. And I want a better government. Elected officials no longer seem to want to better our lives. Mm -hmm. It's to perpetuate the party. Mm -hmm. And who gets to get their niece a job in the bureaucracy? And keep their own job. Yeah, yeah. God damn it. Exactly. Who, who wouldn't want yep. to keep their own job? The only issue I have, and I thoroughly agree with you, Karen, it's the game that's being played. If you're going to be asked tough questions, you're not going to get that person. Unless, unless everybody asks tough questions. Because who are they going to talk to then? But, but that doesn't always... happen anymore, right. Mark, and you know that. I mean, there's it, always going to be has, some. Things have changed. Once upon a time, you had to make sure that everything was together because people were coming at you from every angle. You had to be accountable. Now, every too many, I'm not going to say everybody, but too many people want to be friends. They want to be invited to the parties. They want to have access. So they play that game. It and ain't it doing me a goddamn any, bit of let good. Let me say this. Nope. Any real legitimate public servant, not going to say elected official, I'm going to say public servant would make themselves available and accessible to answer the tough questions, even those questions that they may not have an answer it to. It is a requirement in democracy that you answer the questions. And uh, we're going to play the clip now, but I got to tell you, big storm brewing. 
If this power goes out, <laughs> fuck it, show's over. Right? It's just over. We're not going to start again. I'm going to go crack a beer. That's I appreciate it. I think <laughs> she know, appreciates the, that, Charlie. The true tragedies of this particular virus is how uh, easily it is transmitted and how Duh! disproportionately it hits our older population, gotcha, especially gotcha. older population that has underlying medical vulnerabilities. We know that um, this experience has played out across the planet, frankly, but we've seen it. This is the problem with him asking, you know, to quote unquote address it because now she can just ramble on and say anything she wants about yes. any aspect of what it. What we found out is this attacks old people. We knew it before it even got here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes, that makes the case even worse. Real time here in the United States, first in Seattle, but of course, all across the U.S. At every step of the way, we have uh, followed the CDC's best guidance, hmm. um, and our policies reflected that. Hmm. And um, I think, you know, all of the efforts that we've taken to keep people safe by closing down the ability for other outsiders to come in, et cetera, um, our, our policy with regard to we never once required that any nursing home take a COVID-19 recovering patient. Stop. Um, what did she just say? We never required. required. I'm just calling that a lie. Okay, because here, here, executive order 2020-50 signed April 15th, 2020. Her 50th executive order. This comes three weeks after New York, which we just basically copied it. It mentions must in this executive order 29 times. I will give you some, my friends out there. Our friend, we all got some old people we got hit by. And I care about these old people. And no more old people. Quote, a long-term care facility must not prohibit admission or readmission of a resident based on COVID-19 testing. Again, mm. any long-term care facility that has a dedicated COVID unit must admit anyone that it would normally admit as a resident, regardless of whether the individual has recently been discharged from the hospital uh, for COVID. What a huge mistake. Next, the long-term care facility of origin must accept the return of the resident. Next, the hospital must discharge the resident to a regional hub. But she just said... Uh... If the long-term care facility it. where the resident resided prior to the onset of the symptoms of COVID must discharge the resident to their facility of residence for placement in the unit, a nursing home with a population of less than 80% must create a unit dedicated to the care of COVID-19 residents and must provide appropriate personal protection equipment as available. Hmm. To direct available, what does that mean? Right on. To direct care employees. I got to finish. Report to the Health and Human Services all presumed positive COVID cases, but no must about the deaths, hmm. which we still don't have. And it's important to say these are just nursing homes that are accredited by the federal government. More than half of the nursing homes are the ones we all think about, like, you know, Grandpa plays Pinochle at five and has a beer with, you know, Shirley from, <laughs> you know, room four, four, five, right? Yeah. We didn't even count those. There's a, a private place that I know of. They had at least 20 deaths, not counted. Another place I know of, two deaths, not counted. You see where I'm going? Yeah. Okay. A long-term care facility must not prohibit admission or readmission of a resident based on COVID. Okay. So that's... Simply 
Not true. Madam. Governor. Roll it, Mark. Chose to, and when they did, they followed the promulgated practices from the CDC about separation and mm. um, not having intermingling at all. Mm. Uh, but following the best practices at the time, uh, I think, me- means that, sadly, uh, lives were lost. Um, Hmm. Every day, every week, we've learned more and more about this virus. We've adapted. We've consistently questioned our practices and adopted the smartest, you know, most informed next steps every step along the way. But in the in the early days, I will say that following the CDC was um, the Hmm. gold standard at the time. And Hmm. and that's what we were doing. And and certainly Hmm. um, our numbers in terms of our nursing home deaths are are far too many, mm. but they're a lot less than a lot of states. And we're so I think that's just them. an important perspective to con- share. We're going to continue to prioritize keeping our uh, congregate care settings um, in terms of our oversight. Okay. And, and You can talk over. She's just going to ramble for a while. Yeah, okay. I didn't know how long it was. Okay, the CDC was the gold standard. Ladies and gentlemen, for you and for myself and our children, I do the work. These are the CDC guidelines dated April 2nd, 2020, a full two weeks before our nursing home debacle. And by the way, two weeks after Whitmer puts this into place, Cuomo undoes it, admits fully it was a mistake because New York was doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They had so many, he undid it. He said, no more, no more commingling, testing immediately. You have to stay in the hospital for 14 days until you come back negative, then you can go back. Yeah. And this was all done to save money and to stop the surge in the hospitals, which was supposed to go to Kobo, and we could have asked her about that. But these are the CDC. I'm just going to do it so we can put the, the this gold bullshit standard. to bed. This is the gold standard. The gold standard. Okay. This is what we followed to the letter. Here's what the CDC said about equipment. Healthcare professionals should use all recommended COVID-19 personal protection equipment for the care of all residents on the affected units. This includes both symptomatic and asymptomatic. What Whitmer put into effect was this. Used best efforts to provide appropriate personal protection equipment and hand sanitizer to all employees that interact with the the residents. So that's not, you did not follow it. That's just a fact. Here's the thing about personnel. Here's the big one. Here's how it really got spread. Assigned, assigned dedicated healthcare professionals, this is the CDC now, to work only on the COVID-19 care unit. At a minimum, this should include the primary nursing assistants, uh, nurses assigned to care for these residents as well. Healthcare professionals working on the COVID-19 care unit should ideally have a restroom, break room, and huh. work area that are separate from uh, healthcare professionals working in the other areas of the facility. To the extent possible, restrict access of ancillary personnel to the unit. Furthermore, assign environmental services staff, janitors, dishwashers, porters. Remember Brian we had on? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, you remember Brian gave us insight on all of this, and oh. none of this was taking place at that facility. Okay, and that's exact. To, to staff to work only on that unit. We know from Brian. No, I worked it didn't there. It happened. Okay. Uh, okay. So we didn't follow the gold standard. We didn't follow it at all. Here, here's the about testing. If you get overwhelmed, which you know the nursing homes did, right? Yep. Consider temporarily halting admissions to the facility, at least until the extent of the transmission can be clarified and interventions can be implemented. 
increasing monitoring of all residents, uh, including assessments of symptoms, blah, 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 three times daily. That's not in the <laughs> order. So the Detroit News, God bless them, they went through Google. They, they looked up the, the top test. 45 death nursing homes, okay. right? They were inspected throughout this thing. There aren't. Oh. And half of them failed. And what changes were made from the failures? We're, we're going to have to get there now, right? So that's what we want to yeah. know, Governor. So look, let's see. Half of them, of the 45, 22 had been cited by state inspectors in the last four months for failing to follow infection control, isolation, or staffing policies. The shit laid out in the CDC. Another five don't even have an inspection report. So you're talking 27 out of 45. And I'd love to know if they still accepted patients and what kind of penalties they received. And it's important to know now. And maybe that was the follow-up question to that long, what rambling is, answer. Is, 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 are we almost done with this ramble here? Yeah, she's done. Okay, so what's the follow-up question? Change anything if you had to do it over again? What? Would you change anything if you had to do it over again? Would you change anything? Which is kind of another open-ended opportunity for her to ramble on. Well, like what specific? So let's, let, I'm interested. Go ahead. There's a lack of specific. Well, I would just say if I had all of the knowledge we have today <laughs> and could go in a time machine, sure, mm -hmm. we'd do some things differently. But at the time with the knowledge that we had time. and. What? Hey, I would have asked like what? Yeah. What? Yeah. I would have known, okay, what would you change? Not would you change something, but what would you change it and how? Or just admit you made a mistake. Well, like like Charlie said, like Cuomo, I mean, it's one thing nobody was nobody's gone through a pandemic before. So to be able to do something, see that it's not working, pull back and do something different is OK to do something that's not working and continue to stick with it just because you don't want to admit that you've made a mistake is not OK. It's stupid. Amen. It's pighead. You're right, Karen, because look, Perfect. I'm trying to nail it down. I, we are either the only or one of the remaining states that still allows the practice Right. Yeah. So, hey, governor, do, do we now have this in order? Do are we going in weekly to inspect these things? Because if this thing's taken off half the dead, I'm going to tell you right now. I told you one private facility that, the, you know, the state doesn't monitor. They, they won't give us the data. They're collecting the data and they won't give it to us. So <laughs> when you say we got hit, uh, you know, Pennsylvania includes nursing homes, adult foster care, yeah. recuperation centers. We're not doing that. What, what is the point of not doing it right now? Mm. I mean, yeah. everything's supposed to be out in the open. Answer it for the, me. The thing's such an abject failure. Just present all the material. Again. But can I, can, can, I, 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 we've said this before, but this is the thing. This is an audition. I mean, just like, you know, the whole we're going to go. And, and this isn't personal. This is solely looking at the, 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 the method or lag thereof of how people in the state of Michigan are being represented or not uh, and, and taken care of or cared for or guided. This is an audition. I mean, you know, her whole thing is about challenging, you know, Trump and, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to go. It's over. still an audition no, for it's, VP, it's, which it's I don't not, think is going to happen. It's, it's, but, Karen, I mean, let's, let's drop focus that. on what's happening here. That's over. Well, we know it's over. Does, no, does, Whitmer, know, does Whitmer know it's over? It's over. It's over. Well, let's see. Maybe because she, of this. Maybe uh, she supplied some uh, specific things she did wrong here. Following the CDC. <laughs> I mean, this is the gold standard. We followed yeah, you said that, or the 30 protocols times, that they prescribed. And you didn't. Um, you know, that's that's the best any state was able to do, frankly. Mm, and, that's not true. Um, you know, 
Those are I facts. Think there's, we oh, always done, have I'm to done. have a mindset that we're going to follow the science and, and take What science? He's just going to keep rambling here. I'll, These I'll, are talking I'll, points. Maybe there's another good follow-up question that really uh, demands some answers from her. I can't wait. Send her a shirt. <laughs> Fix this shit. Except Detroit Red send the shirt Will we to be her. able to visit our elderly friends and families in these nursing homes anytime soon? Okay, done. Well, doctor. Done. Which she just passes that off to okay. the doctor, too. I would doubt it. The whole point is if my loved one's in there, I, am I ever going to be able to see them again? Well, how about the ones who had loved ones die? Right. I'm not going for it. I don't care. See, that's what you're going to answer here, Governor. And I know I, Karen's probably watching. Hey, folks out there, I know you probably want these answers. And look, I'm not, I don't support anybody for office. Those holding the chair are answerable to us. It wasn't good enough. You hire Buttigieg's guy mm. to craft your message, and Buttigieg went up in flames. Eventually, we catch on to empty talk. We want shit fixed. Didn't talk about the crime. Didn't talk about that. That wasn't asked. That's the second biggest story in Michigan. And your money, your unemployment. But before we go there, no bullshit news hour. Brought to you by American Coney Island, Detroit's oldest family-run restaurant and birthplace of the famous Detroit Coney Dog. You know it. Chili, mustard, and Vidalia onions. Downtown at the corner of Lafayette and Michigan Avenue. Can't miss it. It's the red, white, and blue building. Open from 11 to 6. No, forget that. It's, we don't need to know anymore. I, it's open to midnights and the weekends. It's open to 9 or 10. And we don't know what the governor's going to do. There's only one way to find out. Just go there. Yeah, or call ahead. <laughs> No oh. more 24 hours? No more 24 hours. That's that's the thing of the past for a while. And if you don't want to go downtown and you're hankering, send for a Coney kit delivered right to your door anywhere in the 50 states. Go to AmericanConeyIsland.com. And also, our good friends at ADR Consultants who help you get your business done right. How do you navigate the bureaucracy in this corrupt state of ours? How do you keep to the rules when those holding you to the rules aren't following the rules you know it's hard how do you grow your company and keep the government hands out of your pocket you call barry ellen talk at eight and i've been watching this guy work last couple weeks yep yeah yeah he's deep in it he's deep in it things are moving he's got things moving he's i just refer people to him just look just call him it's a free consultation 248-318-9424 ADR consultants, experts in procurement, government compliance, information technology, property management, all of it. He's got it. Yep. ADR consultants, 248-318-9424. I would imagine a lot of businesses need that right now. Yes, they do. They do. It's a mess. Okay, let me, can I just do my rant? Can I set up Ira Todd? Ira Todd's coming on the show. The police police (laughs) describe him, top police Officials I know say this guy who just recently retired just a couple months ago should be working as an interrogator for the CIA. He's that good. Mm. This guy puts baby killers. This guy puts serial killers to prison. Sleeps them. Walks them to sleep. Gets them to love them. Gets them to take them. This guy knows everything about the streets. He's going to come up. But first, I want to set it up with crime. I would have asked the governor... What are we doing about crime? It matters. Detroit is our capital city. If that place is a bloodbath, then it's a bloodbath for all of us. That's just the way that goes. So, there seems to me 
to be an acceptable body count in the city of Detroit, judging by the inaction of the state's political leadership. The comparisons to America's other large cities are startling. Exploding violence is the stuff of international headlines in the wake of Black Lives Matter protesters demanding the downsizing of police and in turn, the police downsizing their response to crime. Even so, the level of Detroit's violence is mind-blowing. Get ready. Everybody get close. Get close to the speaker. Listen to this. Chicago reported 87 shooting victims over the long 4th of July weekend, 17 of them fatal. Detroit saw at least 46 shootings, three of them children, and at least eight homicides. Chicago publishes its crime data daily. Detroit does not. It's important to note, however, that Chicago has four times the population of Detroit, meaning if Detroit at this crime rate was as big as Chicago, we would have had 200 shots over the weekend. Think about that. New York has seen an explosion in gunplay. It was Gotham's bloodiest June in a quarter century. 205 shootings during the month. Detroit beat that, beat New York. Over the past month, Motown has suffered 221 shootings. It's important to note that New York has 11 times the population of Detroit, nearly 8 million more people. So if we were the size of New York last month, we would have had 2,200 shootings. Think about the level of this. And nobody's even said shit here. Atlanta saw 30 wounded by gunfire over the last weekend, five homicides, including an eight-year-old. So bad was the violence there that the governor of Georgia declared a state of emergency and sent in the National Guard. Now, in Detroit, 221 shootings in the month. You want a bigger comparison? During the first seven years of the Iraq War, you guys remember that one? IEDs. An average of 380 United States military personnel were wounded a month. 380. We had 221. The point is, we have a war in the streets, and that should alarm us all, and we should all care about it. What does our governor do? What did she say? Nothing. Not a mention. No, dig here. Want to know what to do? There's no mobilization of the state police to monitor Detroit's major thoroughfares, which have become a rodeo ground for stunt drivers and souped-up cars, a practice, it should be remembered, encouraged by James Craig, the chief of police. Instead, Whitmer asked the people of Michigan by way of Twitter last month to, you know, quote, list what you love about Detroit. <laughs> I love the people. I love its children. I don't love crime, and I'm going to face it. Has Mayor Mike Duggan addressed the weekend's wild violence yet? No. He's been, has he been challenged by the press? No. No. Where's the headline? Do something, Mike! We elect representatives to improve our lives. Party politics make it impossible. They're more interested in power and purse strings than the welfare of the people. That's just how I see it. Last week, Chief Craig attempted to explain away the violence that's plagued the city for five years, and we've been telling you about it. We don't buy the bullshit numbers. He blamed the shooting and the murders on people being cooped up by COVID. He blamed it on arguments gone wrong. Isn't that the way murder usually happens? 
an argument gone wrong. Come on, man. Where's the proactive policing? Where's the gun strategy? Where's the retraining of the police we've been asking for? Where's anything? The joke now going, going around, <laughs> excuse me, is the one about Officer Phil and Officer Chekhov. You heard of those guys? They're hypothetical cops who respond to 911 calls only long after the crime's been committed. When Officer Phil eventually arrives, he fills out the paperwork. His partner, Officer Chekhov, checks off the boxes. And off they go like cheap census canvassers. Nothing gets done. Nobody gets arrested. And that's the overwhelming... Um, situation in Detroit. Murder and shooters don't get caught and they're likely to shoot again. That's, that's the guys we got to get. Stop fucking with everybody else. Stop giving out tickets and COVID masks and shit. We need these guys. I attended a march at a Black Lives uh, Matter crowd on Monday. And you've got to appreciate their commitment. You do. I do. 40 days straight in 95 degree weather and they're still shaking it up. Our conversations were reasonable. Less money for the police, more for the people, they said. And that's understandable. It really is. However, as we've said on this program, we've already given the police less money, and now we're getting what we pay for. I pointed to the Northwest Activity Center on Six Mile in uh, Myers, is it, Karen? For the what? For the Northwest what? Activity Center. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Six premier mile. place, mm -hmm. the premier Meyer, activity rather, center, yeah. right? Uh, where they had all mustard. The, the paint on the joint was peeling. The sidewalks were cracked and choked with weeds. The last time I'd been there, the mayor promised $30 million for neighborhood development that never developed. I reminded them of the 4th Precinct. You guys remember that where they were bucked off the car the other night, yep. right? Yep. The squad car. I looked at, I went there and I looked. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that story 10 years ago. That place was built on a no-bid contract where the builder pocketed $2.5 million, and now the shit's falling apart. Mm. I told you then. Then there's the skyscraper money. There's the pro golf event we're paying for, the hockey arena, the Chrysler Auto Factory, the demolition mm. dollars, the failed jail, the new jail, the no-bid real estate deals. If you're looking for money, that's where it's at. I, that's what I said to him. It's billions all they ever give us is basketball courts, one dude said to me. Ain't that some racist shit, basketball courts? I said, yeah, man, indeed. No one calls Detroit comeback city anymore. They wouldn't dare, especially now that the protesters have the national eye trained on the city's neighborhoods, the country's neighborhoods. We can't keep up with this. We can't do this anymore. People are dying. Too many people for too many no good reasons. So I'll ask it again. What's the plan, Governor? Where are you, Mr. Mayor? Do something, and taking a knee is a gesture for politicians who are out of breath, out of courage, and out of ideas. Amen. You nailed it, Charlie. That's all we hire you to do. No big development, I don't need that shit. Fix the road. Fix the damn roads. Fix the unemployment website. Oh, who's, who called? Who's on the line? It's Duggan. He finally got into us. Fake Mayor Duggan? Yeah. Fake, fake Mayor Mike Duggan's on the line. Whoa. Whoa. Can you hear me? I like you. Yeah, I, I like you better than a real one, fake mayor. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, I, I tell you, I don't take that as too big of a badge of uh, you know accomplishment or anything like that to be like 
better than the real one, but uh, thanks. <laughs> <no>. Well, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing about crime, sir? All right, Charlie, look, uh, you know, not too long ago, you called me Trump by another name. Cause you I, are. I just checked the calendar, Charlie, and it's the 12th and never because I think you're right this time. <laughs> so I don't know if you know this, but my administration has just launched a new Sister Cities program. Oh. Oh. All right, we're going we're gonna to become Sister Cities with Huna, Alaska. Why not Huna, Alaska? City. Yeah, Huna, Alaska. All right, it's not a very big city, but it's similar to Detroit and <laughs> that it's a hardworking community made up of people trying to raise their families safe, secure neighborhoods, just like Detroiters. All right. So of course it's a little easier for them because they got about 65 people in the whole town. <laughs> but listen, what we, de- what we decided is to average out and jointly report our crime stats. Because <laughs> I realized that our already in use, you know, sophisticated approach to reporting crime stats needed to be cooked. I mean, revised <laughs> even more. All right. So I'm happy to report here on the no bullshit news hour that this has already resulted in cutting our violent crime rate in half. Now, unfortunately for Huna, theirs has increased about 150,000%. But nonetheless, I'm really excited about this program, and I think Detroiters should be too. But Huna, at least Huna's population uh, went up a little bit too. So, Well, not really. Maybe, you know what, uh, Mr. Mayor, if, in fact, if... If Huna is our sister city, we should get a little bump in the census numbers in Detroit since yes. nobody's filling out the fucking porn. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> I got to call Vicky. <laughs> Who's Vicky, sir? Uh, she's in charge of all of the census operations here. Oh. Vicky Kovari. Is she in Huna right now? Uh, I, I believe uh, we're doing Zoom conference calls with um, <laughs> some of the elected officials. Huna, I mean Huna. Hey, that that could work. Uh, Karen, you have any questions for fake Mayor Duggan? No, I just want to let you know that some of our listeners are calling you Mayor Thuggan. They're giving you that name. But this is what I want to know, Mr. Mayor, because I had a very active, longtime community person call me yesterday, day before yesterday, and say, how are we a city with four major sports teams and everything outside of the immediate downtown area continues to look like a third world country. She asked, "Is where what, what's happening? Where is the money, and why isn't anybody saying anything?" What's your response, Mayor Thuggan? Yeah, good, great question. Uh, whoever that was, and, and I'm glad you're <laughs> relaying that. Um, look, we got cranes at the Hudson site. You know, <laughs> so that's where the money's going. Duh. Where the, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> the crane. How much public money has gone into these types of projects? It's a and, fucking you know, hole it, in the ground, look, Mr. Thuggin. Uh, the cranes never move. I drive by every morning. They're never moving. What's going on? Well, we got some new ones in there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess uh, uh, we're going to eventually, when the time's right, get more workers on site even to operate those cranes. Maybe <laughs> materials. You know, like COVID slowed down our workforce development programs. Uh, and, and then that, I guess, and we told everyone to singularly focus on getting those forthcoming FCA jobs. Uh, but anyhow, when the time possibly comes to bring in more workers, well, you know, that's when we'll double down on being partners with Huna, Alaska. <laughs> and, and one more question. Are you afraid of black people? Am I afraid of black people? Yes. We never see you in the neighborhoods. It's always a very 
uh, you know, controlled situation with a few select people around you. But do you ever just drive through the east side, the west side, maybe Mac and Bewick, you know, maybe Dexter and Livernois and just kind of touch the people that you represent? Uh, I, I have. Uh, I've been granted a hood pass in a few uh, few communities. <laughs> um, but am I afraid of black people? I mean, mm-hmm. the answer to that would be, you know, I guess, smell my drawers after I go and chop it up with some of the homeboys. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you, what do you think about the, uh, the protesters and, you know, Charlie's talking about it in his rant, you know, 40 days, pretty impressive, isn't it? That's, that's in- incredibly impressive. I don't know that I could handle it for 40 minutes out there in that heat. Um, you know, without, with, especially with like, without a diet coat, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been wearing a mask? Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could see me wearing a mask. Uh, in these briefings, you know, I don't necessarily wear it when I'm at the table and we're spaced out according to the proper guidelines at the table. Uh, so I feel comfortable taking it off there. I want to make sure that my, my voice is coming through. <laughs> but I'm it. I'm, I'm, I believe in it. Everybody should be wearing a mask as much as possible. Now, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, you, you had a press conference yesterday. Uh, I don't know where it was. I wasn't invited. And I'm not, I don't know if you addressed crime, but I do know you were talking about more grant money bullshit giveaway. I mean, where were you? Why wasn't I invited? And why won't you address crime? Oh, well, naturally, Charlie. We, we we hold our briefings in the public safety headquarters. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! You had your press conference was at police headquarters. Yeah, well, you know, you know it's a, they, they, Detroit Police has its own media department, has a wonderful room. Where the commissioners have their meetings. We use it all the time for press conferences and. Uh, you know what? We just thought, yeah, it's perfect. What better place to not talk about public safety than the public safety <laughs> headquarters? Duh. <laughs> that, yeah, that would seem to me, if I was invited, I would be thinking, hmm, well, what about the police? What about crime? Did anybody ask you about it? Any of the media? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you invite Charlie? Why is he off the list? Yeah, Mike. I, I, I can't tell you. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's getting lost in the mail or maybe uh, <laughs> mail. he's not showing up. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'll, I'll see if we can get him to come. You, you have more communication people on your staff than in any other earlier administration. I would like to think that one of those people would extend the invitation to Charlie to come to your press briefings. The problem is we have to uh, uh, impose some exclusive social distancing guidelines just for Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I think, uh, yeah, just give me a little time. I'll try to figure something out. I'm going we to appreciate that. Yeah. We appreciate it. I'm just going to, uh, before I let you go, uh, I got to your uh, communications director, Mr. Roach. And I, I asked, I don't know if he gave you the message, uh, you know, to appear on the show. And what he wrote, what he wrote back was thanks for the invite, but the mayor won't be joining. Hmm. Oh, wow. So, um, I think is that for like forever, sir. I'll have to talk to John. Uh, no, we, we'll 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 give you a, a, a maybe possibly if and when, you know, type of answer all the time, Charlie. Okay, you know, case by case. What will it take to get you in here? Who cares. <laughs> There's got to be uh, something. Gosh, uh, that entices him. Yeah, well, we're talking about incentives. 
I don't know. We may have to go offline with this. I'm not really programmed to talk about making these kind of deals, you know, and providing incentive, underhanded incentives. That's all you do. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, let me finish. I don't do that. I'm not programmed to do that in public. Okay. Oh, okay. oh. oh smoke filled back room. All right, well, sir, look, we're going to let you go. Thanks for joining us. And uh, listen, uh, can you lay off at least one or two of those 145 appointees making on average $140,000 instead of taking the cops um, raise this year? Can you, yeah, can you we'll, just lay off some we'll, of the fat? We'll give it some consideration. No, you won't. Yeah, you're right. All right. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first goddamn honest thing he said. All right, ladies and gentlemen. What, what was that figure you just threw out? Can you it, see, like, it was... It was, I foyed it. Yep. This, this isn't the police. I took them out, yeah. Homeland Security, like they were trying to dummy it down. 144 appointees on average made $142,000. He likes to tell you it's 85. He, he plays with the numbers. I'm good with numbers. I've got them. That's $20 million. You know what that is? That's 2% of the entire budget. For how, like Twelve dozen people. Any idea how that compares to previous administrations? Yeah, under when Karen was in the Bing administration. Go ahead, Karen. No, I'm just saying it. It is. I'll uh, tell you the number. Double. No, it, it no. was nothing like that uh, in the earlier administration. There were twelve and, people. Like I just asked uh, him in terms of the the number of people, what they're making, and the number of appointees that don't live in the city of Detroit. So I mean, there are a lot of factors. The largest communication staff. You, you, like you're this. not answering the question. The, the answer to your question, when Karen was his communications director, Bing, they had one dozen people making over $100,000. One, wow. do, one dozen. And, and what about Kilpatrick? Do we have any idea what his numbers were? I mean... <laughs> I don't. No, okay. I'm just curious. I don't. That I, I don't. What, am I supposed to do everything? Yes. Yeah, you are. Fuck. Your name's on the show. Fucking, but, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. Do everything! <laughs> Okay, folks, look here. I, uh, let me tell you about Hall Financial. Uh, they want you to know mortgage rates are at all-time lows, right? Mm -hmm. Get the house, sell the house, refinance the house. Lower your monthly payments and put money in your pocket. If you're in the market for that home, remember, Hall Financial Services is the fastest in the business. You'll get your mortgage in half the time of their competitors. That's a fact. That's why they have more than 1,500, 1,500 five-star reviews. They're good to the community, right? They're honest, they're ethical, they're smart too. Easy to deal with. Really easy. Bob Shettlebauer, right? Old Liptard Bob yeah. swears by him. Me too. I swear yeah. by him. I used him, yeah. Boom. Very easy. So remember, appraisals can be done without someone stepping foot inside your house. I was wishing we'd be able to let that phrase go. Yeah. But it's back. They can, they can do it driving by. Call 248-308-5000 or go to davidhallmortgage.com. Okay, davidhallmortgage.com, 248-308-5000. Oh. NMLS number 1467435. Sorry, sorry, laughing. <laughs> What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Yeah. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Now. What you gonna do when I leave that on a little bit because it makes me excited. Look at him. If you're if you're watching on Facebook Live, look at him, Superfly. 
<laughs> Look at him. Lightning Hopkins. Look at him. He's awesome. This. This is the super cop. Yeah. Love that hat, too. Ira Todd. It is a pleasure, brother, to have you on. A living freaking legend. Again, a senior interrogator for the Detroit police. This guy is regarded nationwide. How many how many confessions do you think you got in the murders? Murders? Yeah. I'll be within a hundred or so. Fuck. How many serial killers you busted? I've got well over a, probably a thousand confessions, but from larceny all the way up to murders and everything else throughout 35 years. So a hundred murder confessions. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah. How does a man get another person to admit yeah. murdered? What is Is there a simple uh, trick? Not trick. Yeah. But. yeah. It's, it's not really a trick. It's experience. It's wisdom. And it's mostly empathetic listening. You know, you have to actually treat people like human beings and were, talk to them like human beings. Were you a good cop or bad cop? Because I've, seen, I've seen a lot of movies. Both. I was a little bit of both. <laughs> he was really? a little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. What oh, do you yeah. mean by that? Started off, you, you you grow and you develop onto the job just like anything else in life. And you know, I started off um, a patrol officer. I came from Michigan State Police, so I came from a culture where it was very professional, uh, very paramilitary. Um, you know, you yes sir, no sir, those kind of things. And then when I left the state and came to Detroit, same thing. You know, they taught you the same type of things. But when you actually get on the streets of Detroit. You, you develop into something else and you kind of assimilate into that type of society, whatever area you're working in. So if you're working in a really bad area or a Delta area or something like that, where you got a lot of thugs or a lot of hardcore people, you become a little hard. It rubs off on you a little bit. So, and so you work gang squad. I work gang squad. Yeah. So you were like the night you gang squad, like the nineties, right? I mean, you, you just retired. 80s. No, early eighties, like 80s, 87 is when I went to Gang Squad. So, you did you was that was that kind of a thug unit? Did, were you guys thugs? We weren't thugs, but I tell you what, back then we didn't think we were thugs, but we were the cops that this was our model. When the citizens got in trouble, they called the police. When the police got in trouble, they called Gang Squad, special crime oh. unit. And <laughs> and if, I know Karen, she remember all this. But, the special crime section within special crime section was gang squad, DOT surveillance, and major crime mobile unit. So I worked major crime mobile units too. And they worked closely with homicide to go pick up felons and things like that. So back in that day, you guys ruled the streets. You, you, you uh, Look. We were the biggest gang in the city of Detroit. We said Detroit police was the biggest gang. No other gang. We didn't allow colors back then. L.A. would allow colors and things like that. We took their colors. So, like, so guys learn how to identify themselves in different ways. You guys beat like ass that. back in the day, didn't you? I mean, you beat oh, ass. Oh, 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 let me tell you something. We ruled with IFS. We, we whooped some, you know what? Yes. Oh, yeah. We didn't take anything. We came from a culture where we were no-nonsense police. We demanded respect. We gave respect. Now, we didn't go out there hitting old ladies and messing with middle-class people and stuff like that. But if you had guys out there shooting at each other and disregarding little kids on the street and killing kids and stuff like that, when they came and got us to go look for them, we looked for them aggressively. And do you, do you think that was kind of a reflection, too, of almost an old school neighborhood, the kind of thing, you know, where an adult could say something to a child because it was what's in their best interest without any repercussions from that parent? I mean, do you think that that was a reflection of just the era that we were 
um, as a people, as a community, where we were doing what we had to do to make it better for everybody. Yes, I think you're 100% right. And I think it was that kind of thing. And I grew up that way, too. It's like if the police tell you get off my corner, you better be off this corner. We learned to respect the police, even if we didn't like them. Fear. Even we feared fear. them a little bit. Fear. But we respect the police. Okay. And, and, and I'm telling you, it was, it was a different type of animal back then. But we wouldn't we wouldn't tolerate even hard looks. You know, but you, you that know. grew that grew into you, didn't it? Because you were telling me once about, like, well, fuck, we're, like that wasn't your culture. You you grew up at Twelfth and Claremont, the epicenter 12th, of the riots. Twelfth and Hughes between Puritan and Finkel. So you were close to the epicenter. Yeah, yeah I was right by the riots. You I saw had the tents on my uh, on my yard. You know, nineteen sixty-seven. You, you had a right. single mom. Your mm-hmm. father was doing time in prison. Yeah, four and a half years. You you came and you thought the police were the good guys. You, always, always. And, and then you join, you need some money. And then you start realizing, wait a minute, we're a little bit of the bad guys too. That's right. You, you learn early, like I was telling you, Charlie, my mother raised me. And, you know, my mother was a law-abiding citizen. And my father was, you know, he got in a little trouble when he was younger, you know. And like I tell you, in, in certain neighborhoods that you grow up in, you know, it may be wrong, but a lot of black folks I grew up with said, I'd rather steal than kneel. We, we didn't beg for things. In, some, in cert, certain neighborhoods, people get so desperate, instead of begging and kneeling, they'll go out there and steal, or they'll go out there with a gun and take it. And it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. And I learned that, but my mother kept me away from that. And she kept us in the backyard. She kept us close. She made sure we kept our nose clean. Didn't get in any trouble. I wasn't exposed. I mean, we had gangsters and dope dealers and people all around the neighborhood that we knew of, but we were never exposed to it. My mother kept us in the yard. If you want to play with us, and you had to be a good kid and come play in the yard. Right. And so she kept us all clean and out of trouble. And then I was able to join the police department. It's something I really wanted to do. And so when I got on the police department, especially with Detroit, it was like, I really loved it. I loved the uniform. I loved being a cop. To this day, I'm really proud of being a cop. I love being a cop. You know, love being on that side. Yeah. But it was a culture shock. You know, my first couple of years, it was kind of like, okay, this is cool. And then I used to walk a beat in Herman Gardens. And I had that state police mentality where it was like, yes, sir, no, sir. How you doing, sir? And some of those guys in that projects would eat you alive. You know, get the fuck away from me, bitch. They would use profanity. They like, get away from me. No respect for the police. So after a couple of months, it started rubbing off on you. You start being like the guys that were training you and the guys that trained them. They ruled with a heavy fence, with the heavy fist. And so after a while, it was kind of like, no, you, you couldn't be punked out out there. You couldn't allow them to take control of you. And guys would try you. Guys would literally say, okay, well, you want to arrest me? Come take me. Come take me. And we had a thing back then, you know. You hit a cop, you go to the hospital. Let's be real. You hit a cop, you go to the hospital. Let's be real. Because I'm, I'm going to be real. You know, and I'm telling you, it got better over the 20 years. But when we first came on, we were taught to rule with iron fists. We were taught to demand respect and give respect. And we gave respect. It, you said it's changed, and it has. And, and Detroit, you, you were the, involved in a culture that got so bad, they were locking away innocent people, trying to get them to confess up at the ninth floor of the, the old police precinct. The federal government took us over for 13 years for use of force, and we killed a lot of guys. Things changed. But now do you see, Ira, like, please speak 
freely and honestly. I, I talk to a lot of police as well. Now it's changed. Has it changed where at this moment right now that we're living in, with everything we're seeing, that the police are doing the, the wave by, they're not policing now? Have, have they stopped? I think you have. You probably have a, 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 a small amount of people, the cops that do that. I'm going to be real honest with you. you got some guys that will slow drag to runs. Some guys that may say, hey, I'm not going to risk my life getting to that run. You know, you get guys that get complacent and say, hey, look here, you know, it'll be there when we get there, things like that. But I'm telling you honestly, Charlie, and the guys I work with, and, you know, I retired from the Homicide Task Force, and we had old and young guys there. And the guys that I work with, I'm telling you, they still got that heart. Oh, no, look, I, Detroit Homicide, you kidding me? That's the busiest detective in the country. Yeah. That's another matter. You're showing up there when it's done. And you're gonna yeah. you're gonna hunt a dude down, but I know a lot of cops, and I'm not accusing them of being lazy or anything like that. But it's now it's officer fill and officer check off. I'm not getting out of the car and chasing that d dude down. He's got something puffy in his thing, or he looks like he's menacing somebody. I'm not doing it. Is that much true? You have, yeah, you have a few officers that's gonna do that, but but from what I can see, I'm being real honest with you. From what Please, I can see, a lot of officers out there are really, really trying to do their job. I see guys working their butts off. Even during the COVID, I, I keep in touch with a lot of the guys that were working out there. You had guys like, I got to go in there because I don't feel like it, but so-and-so can't work today, and I got to have somebody cover him. Guys really care about the city, especially the ones that grew up in the city and they still got parents in the city and things like that. Yeah. They really, really do care. Now, you have some guys that maybe come from the suburbs or that that – that never grew up in the city and don't really have a vested interest in the city who might say, you know what? I'm not killing myself for the city that really doesn't care about me. Because so, first of all, are you, are you talking about the lack of value from a uh, loss of residency, which is something that we've talked about. It really wasn't challenged. Um, and that disconnect that people automatically feel when they don't have a vested interest. And what does that do for the citizens or the residents rather that are supposed to be protected by these, by these officers that don't have that connectivity and commitment? I think it was the worst thing they could have did. And I, I'm, I'm one of the people that wanted to move out too. I was like, I want to go out. I want to lower taxes. I want better services. I wanted safer schools. I wanted all that stuff. And I said, let me move out into the into the suburbs, you know, out way, way out. I did that. And I tell you something, you even you can tell how things have changed within the family of blue. We were closer when we all lived in the city. We all had each other's backs. If somebody just said if you had to go pick up your kids and you couldn't pick up your kids, you can call your partner over at number seven. Hey, could you pick up my so-and-so, so-and-so, take it to your house? I got a I got a late run or something. Oh, I'm working over. We cared about everyone. We shopped in the same grocery stores. Our neighbors were the people that we were protecting. And, and you, you did. You had a certain connection to the city, and you loved the city. And I'm telling you, things just worked a lot better. You protected people because this was my city. Now it's kind of like you go punch a clock, and then you go home. So it's like it's somebody else's problem once you leave, you know. After your, like 60, after your 16 hour shift. Yes. And that's that's another thing, Charlie, that really has bugged me my whole career. And I've been a guy that worked 24-7, recall. I got so burnt out. When I left the job, I was so burnt out. And I'm just now recovering from it. But you love the job so much. But I'm telling you, the worst thing they can do some of these younger officers within their first five years is work them those double shifts. These guys don't realize when you start seeing guys doing crazy stuff out there, uh, losing control, can't manage their anger and stuff like that, a lot of that is stress. A lot of that's being overworked. You already don't sleep because a lot of this stuff you can't get out of your head 
people think like it's because you watch TV and you see all this stuff on TV, you get numb to it. But when you're in the real world, you can sm smell death, taste death, breathe death, and watch all this violence going, all this tragedy and stuff, and you actually live in it. You relive it over and over again. Even when you suppress it, you find yourself sometimes drifting off, thinking about stuff, thinking about cases and stuff. And people don't realize the stress that's on law enforcement across the country. There's a lot of stress on law enforcement. Now, so is your, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mark. I'm well, sorry. I was going to say to that point, you said you're finally getting to a point. I mean, you had a, a very famous acquittal for, for a shooting. Um, is that one of those things that keeps coming back to you? Or? Yeah, let's make that clear for the, for the audience. Let me say this, Ira, for the audience, make it clear. You, on the job, gang squad, were charged with the murder of an unarmed citizen. Yes, a Cuban immigrant, Tell Jose Eldorado, back in 1993. Did you mean to kill him? Uh, yeah, that was my intention. My intention was to stop the threat. See, what you got to realize, cops, we are trained, especially back then. We're not as, so much as educated. We are trained like dogs. We are trained. And they, I hope I don't offend any other cops out there, but they know what I mean. But we resort back to training during stressful situations. So we're trained to do certain things. And certain things you don't think is you just you just you you go with the flow. You kind of and after a few years, you get these gut feelings. You know, when guys report guns, you see verbal justice, you see things. You, you are trained to react, and under a stressful situation, you will react. And what people don't realize is you are told what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and don't question anything. Why'd you shoot the guy? I thought he killed my partner. Did and he so kill your partner? My training is if I hear a shot, see my partner fall, you eliminate the threat. But the guy didn't have a gun. Didn't know that. I heard a shot, saw my partner fall. Who's, who's, gu who's, gu who's gun fired? It was my partner's gun. We later found that out. Yeah, but at trial, at trial, he didn't say. He said he didn't fire his gun. He said he didn't know it. He said he didn't remember it. And people called him liars. They called him. I even questioned him for a while. I said, did he tell the truth? And later on, I found out it screwed him up. I remember the night that we got into the shooting. After I had shot Jose and killed Jose, I felt somebody behind me and we were actually investigating two other guys and when i spin around to see if these guys that came back to rush me because i thought they were all part of this whole little thing that was going on it was rico standing there in a daze your parents smoking pointed at me almost shot rico almost turned and they teach us to go center mass so i turned up in center mass and i recognized it was rico and i still lowered my gun slowly because i didn't know if he was still there and people don't realize we see this stuff on TV and we see cops, they go home and, you know, they, you know, go eat a piece of pizza and clean their gun afterward. Bull crap. I didn't sleep for three days. I couldn't sleep. So what kind of support do officers need and may not be getting? And what have you done to reconcile the emotional burden that you have uh, acquired and possibly carried for the extent of your career, including that that murder? I've been in therapy. I, I, I go periodically and I go talk to therapists sometimes because it helps me. I'm a talker too, but it helps. And sometimes I can realize when things are starting to bother me again because I can find myself, you know, getting into this thing where you can't think, you're not processing things. You're just kind of stressing about things. Your mind is racing. And people don't realize the trauma that Detroit cops go through is a little different than like small suburban cops or little town cops. It's over and over and over again. And I really think they need to start paying attention to that. You know, cops 
health and welfare should be priority. Because if you want a good cop, you got to make sure that cop is good, not just on the job, but his home life too. But brother, we, we got rid of that. We got rid of health care. The, the, the mental's not there. The, the, the wages are less. Do you feel in the bankruptcy, they fucked the cops, not only his wallet, but his mind up? They, they screwed them up. And if the climate of law enforcement, they don't take mental illness or stress or anything like that really seriously. They oh, say they whoa. do. But they don't take it real serious. Think about this. I get into a shooting. They sent me to a guy named Shiner. Shiner's been around for 30, 40 years. I remember. Shiner, everybody hates Shiner. He's a rubber stamper. Oh, you're okay. If, if you're stressed out, it's related to your home life, not to your police life. Go back out on the streets. I got people calling me. I got women calling me crying and saying, I can't do the streets anymore. And Shiner put them back on the streets. If a cop telling you, I can't do this anymore on the streets, why would you put them back on the streets? Yeah. Stick them inside. Put them on a duty disability for about six months. Let them get their heads together. Let me say something here, brother, because, again, when we're talking about defunding the police and, and putting it towards mental health services. Maybe what we're missing, and this is a common ground for all of us, is we don't have enough mental health services for the police. Oh, I, I, trust me. It, it's a lot of guys. I think every six months, a cop should be evaluated his whole career. Shit. Every six months. And then if he said, hey, look here, uh, Things are starting to go a little crazy for me. I'm starting to, I'm changing. I'm acting a little differently. You know, I, I'm, I'm hypervigilant. You know, when I go to the mall with my wife and kids, I used to go to the mall while they're shopping. What I'm doing, I'm watching people's hands. I'm always expecting wow. something. I'm always preparing myself. What's going to go down? People don't realize that. And then think about cops like us from the old school days. We've done, under, I've done multiple undercovers, uh, all type of high profile cases, dealing with hit men, all those kind of things. You're not afraid, but in the back of your mind, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always watching your back. Mm. Who do you talk to about that? You know, when I got charged with murder, I remember coming home and I remember the biggest thing that bothered me most was my family looking at me and seeing me as a weak person. I felt weak. I felt like I didn't know if I did the right thing or not. I second guessed myself. And I remember thinking like the most important thing, I couldn't let my family see me weak. You know, so I remember my... Wife, you said, you okay? And I said, well, I'll be okay if you quit asking me if I'm okay. You know, and all she was trying to do was care, but I'm trying to be this tough cop. And nobody taught me to say, hey, man, something's going on with you. Something's going on with you. Like I just told you, Charlie, I had just left the therapist's office right before I signed up to come on this thing, and we were just talking. And you still realize you deal with a lot of those things that you've seen on the job. I've seen some horrible things. I've seen headless bodies. I've seen just heads and freezers. I've seen multiple babies killed. I've seen babies bleeding on the streets with AK-47 rounds through them. I've seen mothers just lose their minds when they find out that you, you go and make notifications and you knock on the door and you say, you know, I'm looking uh, for Miss So-and-so and what's this about? And you say, oh, your daughter's not coming home. You know, I've been looking for my daughter, your daughter's not coming. And you see people just lose their mind. And I'm an empathetic person. I empathize with a lot of things. And, and you take that stuff home and you hold it in. You become overprotective. Nobody talks about that. My kids will tell you that dad's overprotective. You know, where are you guys? They got to check in. You know, they have to check in. People don't understand the stress that cop goes through in the long term and how it affects their families. Yeah, you know, you're, you're divorced. I got two kids that have anxiety attacks. You know, I was, I was in Paris in January of this year, and a friend of mine called me, another cop, whose daughter was in Paris, 
And he said, hey, Ira, my daughter's in Paris. I'm scared to death. This is before Corona. And he said, she have anxiety, but you go check on her. I called her up. I met her for dinner and everything else. And the stuff that she told me had me cracking up. It, she described me perfectly. She said, my dad is this. He, he made me watch Taken five times before I went to go to Paris. My dad made me paranoid. You know, and I said, wow, what are we doing to our children? And so uh, people don't realize this thing is a, it's a, it's a, this law enforcement thing is something that we need to stop playing with. We need to start funding. Pay your cops enough money where they don't have to work sideline jobs. Yep. Charlie, I talked about Lonnie Wade. Lonnie Wade was a guy that broke me in on the job. Lonnie Wade was uh, one of those street cops. He, he was the that dude played. that beat the ass at Myers, the old guy at Myers, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. Lonnie Wade, 65 years old. Yeah. We were gang squad. So the, so the, yeah, the guy cop. at Myers that, yeah. that beat the ass at a young guy. Yeah. yeah. 65-year-old cop still working because he didn't have any health care. No health care. His daughter got lupus. And I'm sorry to put this bit. I, I take it, but I don't want to do that. But he's working just like I was working 10 extra years to keep my health care because of my cancer and all my other little ailments. So we stayed on because we it, like health care is like getting another house note if you retire. Yeah. And that's not what we signed up for. And I bust my butt for the city. I'm broken up physically and mentally. So we got a lot of problem. And then, you know, like that's, it's, there's a lot of reasons for the crime going out of control. And this is part of it. And do you think, uh, do you think this is a temporary little summer spike or is this a five year thing we're going to go through here? A 10 year thing, considering everything going on in the world? Oh yeah. I think it's going to be a while. I think that's, that's the climate right now. You, so and you're I, saying that body, get used to higher body counts. I'm sorry. Get used to higher body counts is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, I think so. Fuck. I think people are angry, man. People are angry. People are scared. People are afraid. People are broke. People are broke. When people get desperate, they do desperate things. And they're broken. That's the other thing. I mean, yes. think about this. Think about the cycle that you've just described, you know, whether knowingly or not. Law enforcement, your family, the impact they have on their friends and their family. Now, marry that to the pressures that residents are doing in their own lives. What type of stress do they have? Economic, social, the whole. So we're just a whole mixture of emotions and nobody is doing anything to sort it out so that we can at least understand, respect those differences and get the help and support we need. So we have a, at least it won't be perfect, but a more workable environment. Yes. I mean, these are these are issues that are that are not addressed. You know, we, we tried for years to make sure that calls that came in through 911 were categorized, that everything wasn't a top tier call because they are responded to differently. Maybe somebody just needed a ride to the hospital. Maybe somebody had a, a, a hangnail, but everything is top tier emergency. So you go in with this um this, this stress and this anxiousness about it being uh, antagonistic and violent, and it just rolls on. Like, what do we do to stop that will? Yes. And, and what happens when, and think about this, Karen, too. And what, what happens when you tell a law, law enforcement officer, look here, we give you the authority. State of Michigan give you the authority to make an arrest. And then you, have, you can use the force that's necessary to affect that arrest. So what happens when you got somebody said, I'm not going to jail? Me and Charlie even played around with that one day. I said, Charlie, stop me without physically stopping me and saying, I'm not going to jail. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Right. You know, so there need to be some sort of rules or some laws or something to say, okay, I'll tell you what, if we're not allowed to forcefully restrain somebody, unless it's somebody like a violent person, like you're serious right. or something like that, then that person refused. Well, maybe that should be another felony. Maybe that should be a, a considered a violent felony because now if you refuse to let police take custody of you, you know, 
we think now you might be violent the next time I try to take custody of you. That's what people don't realize. Like, like Charlie said, like the homicide cops, we come Behavioral at- health support, maybe. Hold on, yeah, hold on. I mean, Let him finish. Let him finish there. Go, sometimes go ahead. other people have other issues, um, yes, you know, yes. and so to be able to address that either through training or additional resources, do you call for a social worker? Do you call for somebody to say, hey, this guy's not violent. He needs help. Yes, yes. Or uh, other officers that's trained in that situation, too. You know, you can do a lot of things like that. But, you know, like, it, it's just so crazy out here. But the police are afraid to do their jobs because now they're afraid we're going to get charged, too. You know, the guy that killed George Floyd, no doubt in my mind, he toast. He is toast. But you better believe that's in the back of a lot of cops' mind. And the guy that killed George Floyd, there's no excuse for it. But I've seen good cops do some stupid things when they're stressed out, they're overworked, they got some other personal things going on. And then that one guy is that one to make you snap. And next thing you know, you're, you're choking them instead of restraining them. You're choking them and punching them in the face. But people got to realize cops are human. We have our threshold too. And we break sometimes. And sometimes it could be that day. So you know what? Today, you know, my old lady and cuss me out. I ain't taking a cussing out from JoJo out here. You know, yeah. and it's just it's just real. You know? That's a fact. Those guys who was trained like I was back in the day, I'm telling you right now, thank God for some of the younger guys. Um, you know, there's a cop named Richard House. I'm just throwing his name out there because he's a younger officer who kept me and another younger officer getting in trouble because we we're going to lock this guy up. And this guy was like, we ain't going nowhere. And he was going crazy. And I'm old school. I'm like, if I tell you you're under arrest, I'm ready to take you one way or the other. I- and I'm getting ready to grab this guy and we get ready to fight. And this young officer said, hey, stop. Oh, oh, wait a minute. And he talked us both down. You need that sometimes. Because I was an old hothead. I was like, oh, wait, you ain't going to tell me no. And this young Richard Hauser, this young cop, he had 20-something years on job. But he had enough sense to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He talked me and this other cop down and said, wait a minute, we don't have to do it this way. Look here, bro. You know, you're going to have to allow us to do it. We had a search warrant. He didn't want us to let, him, let us into his house. We had a search warrant. So those kind of things. Along you know. those lines, Ira, um, you hear the stories of a officer speaks out about a bad officer mm-hmm. and then he's blackballed or, or you know, they, they don't feel safe talking out about the quote unquote bad officers. How prevalent is that in your mind? Man, let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's a little better today, but not much. But on the police department, that's the first thing they, they don't allow you to do. First thing, and I, I was kind of a rebel because sometimes I was like, how in the hell are you going to tell me I can't talk when everybody else got the constitutional right to talk? You know, I always say police officers shouldn't be subjected to a watered down version of the Constitution. But that's the first thing they tell you. Don't say nothing to the cameras. Don't talk about this. We're not even allowed to talk about things that we're passionate about. We're not allowed to talk about things that's going on wrong in the department. You have to blow a whistle or something like that. That's that's bred into you. You better not say anything. Hey. I got phone calls while I'm doing t- television interviews from deputy chief saying, you better shut the hell up. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute, I'm talking about something that's, I have a right to talk about. Wait, wait, dude, speak, speaking, of, department, just something speaking about that, that I had a right to talk about. The whistleblower. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You, you were a whistleblower. It had to do with Kwame Kilpatrick, hit men and strawberry green. And you caught some shit for that. I caught a lot of stuff for that. Well, what, explain what that was. We were business mothers was a hitman that we knew about. Him and he had a whole hit crew. Well, Homicide had a warrant for him on a homicide. Violent Crime Task Force, we were working on the whole murder for hire crew. We were working on the hitmen and the guys that hired these hitmen. Homicide was working on the individual murders. Well, Homicide got this warrant. 
they asked us to track Benson and find him for us. So we started looking for Benson. Once we started hitting houses, Benson took off and he went to Chicago, I'm not, to Kentucky. Him and a guy by the name of Ernest Davis. Nemo, that was his partner. Vincent Smothers is you're looking for. Vincent okay. Smothers. Okay. And so we start tracking him and everything else, and we start looking for him, and he disappeared. That So I started running intel to find out why was his phone pinging going out of the city, and because we, we were tracking everything. I don't want to give too many secrets away that we can do. But I started doing intel to say, why is he going to this place, and why did he stop in this place? So I found out some people that he was associated with. So I started running them and I found out that the feds and Kentucky local uh, state officers had a task force and they were investigating this one individual that was connected to Smothers and the other guy that he was with. So in during that conversation while I'm talking to the FBI and I'm talking to the local uh, task force officers, before we hang up, they said, be careful. This one guy is connected to Kwame Kilpatrick. We know it for a fact. We have him talking to him. He's basically getting the keys to the city. But this guy is protected. He's from Detroit. He's doing a lot of dope here. All the hitmen and all the guys from Detroit, they come up here and hide out with this guy. But be careful what you say and do because they brag about how they're connected with the police department and Kwame Kilpatrick. I get off the phone immediately and I call my lieutenant, who was a buddy of mine who I got down to violent crimes Brought him down there because we were a gang squad together. I knew he was a good guy. But he got, once these guys start getting these bars and gold and stuff like that, they kind of lose themselves. Some of them. You know, we got a bunch of great bosses. When I left the department, we had a bunch of great bosses. But some of some of these guys Stay back in the Stay on point here. Themselves. Stay, finish the story. Okay. But I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, <laughs> these guys, this my buddy says, okay, I'll handle it. And I said, well, let's kind of keep it low because I don't want any trouble, none of that kind of stuff. So I go and I type a report. He goes up the channel and he tells some other deputy chief, next thing you know, I'm getting a word. Don't turn that paperwork in. Don't say anything to anybody else. Make sure you don't report that information you just got, blah, 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 blah. Don't put anything in writing. So when I hear something like that, you know what you do, right? You put something in writing, right? Because <laughs> something's going on. Somebody's covering up something. I don't know what it was about. But all I know is I'm not getting involved in that crap. I'm covering myself. So I called the feds and I met one of the FBI agents up at the Starbucks and I gave him my file. But I also had gave this lieutenant this document that I had written out of everything they had told me and all the stuff that I knew about this particular case and the connection between Kwame and these murder for hire guys. And didn't know if it's true or not. We were just trying to conduct the investigation. Right. And the next thing I know, somehow... It winds up in Kwame's hand, and then and I'm kicked out of the task force. Oh shit! Well, the actual document. Now, you know what what's happened, all- I sued the city afterwards, and during uh, the deposition, Stefani got Ella Bully to admit that somebody brought her the document, and she took it, and and she was the informed, one who informed Kwame Kilpatrick. God damn! Wow. So, and I know who I gave the document to it was to my buddy, the lieutenant, who was the guy I trusted with everything. What and I gave it to him. I said, if something happened. Just cover me. You know, I was doing what I was ordered to do and everything. I copped this guy out on nine murders. What a cesspool. Well, you mean Vincent Smothers. And then I get punished for copping him out on nine murders. Vincent Smothers. Yeah. The hit man. And and during the interrogation, Commander Tolbert, who was commander at the time, interrupted my interrogation. I was a really good interrogator back then, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I was a cocky interrogator. I thought I was this stuff, you know, but I was really good. And nobody really bothered me. When they ever asked me to go talk to somebody, they would call me to go talk to people all the time, especially high-profile cases. 
Nobody interrupted me ever. They knew I had my own little style, my own little gift, and I was patient. So it might be 10 hours into the interrogation before I actually get the guy to start talking because I'd go through these phases of building. So Tolbert walks like into your into your interrogation. First time this has yes. ever happened. The he's like the deputy chief of the department. Mm. Yeah. He just yeah, walks he, in. He interrupts. During he interrupts the Vincent, and then during the Vincent Smothers what not to say. During the Vincent Smothers investigation. Yes. That's yes. because for the for the audience, I'll say it. A 14-year-old, he's a, a special needs Devante, kid, Devante Sanford, Devante Sanford mm-hmm. takes the fall for a quadruple murder, right? Yes. Turns out he probably didn't commit it. Uh, and Tolbert, it turns out later, perjured himself because he drew the kid the map and then had the kid redraw the map of the murder scene, Right. Yes, and they, basically so, fed, they basically fed him information. The, the 14-year-old didn't do it. Vincent Smothers did it. And the way they caught him was he told you, you got him to confess, where the gun was that he used to commit those murders. Right. His wife, Fuck. I actually got his wife to confess where, they had hit the, where she had hit the guns because when he was running and the police wow. started hitting the house, he called his wife and said, take these guns to such and such. So when I got his wife in, I copped his wife out and she's the one that showed us where she hit the guns. And the guns that we recovered matched the Runyon case. Why do you and they think still, they still didn't want to let this kid out? Why do you think Tolbert did that? Did he do, do it because he wanted to clear a case, or because it was connected to Kwame and the Hit Crew? You, I, we never got a chance because what happened was they shut us down. That's the stuff we were going to investigate. We were on our way. I had a wow. team. Me and three other guys were on our way. A team of us were on our way to Kentucky, and we were going to brief with the FBI there. And I was going to take it was a couple of FBI agents going with us too with DPD officers. And we were going to debrief and see what they had and what we had and see what the connection was and what all this stuff was about. They shut it down. Tobin ended up getting hired in Flint as the chief. He got fired there, but he did bring one interesting little cultural practice from Detroit to Flint. Oh boy. Which is the homicide count fell precipitously because they started labeling them all justifiable instead of just counting them. (laughs) Right? Ira, you know that, right? Cooking those body numbers. We're still I doing that. Can be played with. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a lot of way they've been. How do you that. hide a body? Jesus. Uh, Gary Brown. Uh, now I, I, I got to be honest about Gary. Let me tell you. I want you to be. There's no question okay. there. Just Gary, Gary Brown. Brown is a guy. The first time I met Gary Brown was at Gang Squad. He was actually a Gang Squad sergeant. Very intelligent. Very smart. Carried himself very well. And I know as he started moving up the ladder, he just changed. He wouldn't even speak to us. I mean, you see him on there. And one day, I didn't. I just really thought he didn't recognize. I've always been real friendly, and I, I'm, I'm the police. I love the police, you know. So I saw him, had a song, even though he was, I think he was like a deputy chief or something, but I hadn't seen him in a while. I said, Chief, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing, son? He just looked at me. I said, Ira, you remember me? Yeah, I remember you. I was like, wow. You know, this is somebody that was kind of like an idol of mine when he was a sergeant. And, and they, these guys, I'm telling you, a lot of these guys, when they get brass, they change. They well, you know what change. he's doing now? He runs the fucking water department. Oh, man, let me tell you something. Uh, Holy shit. I was doing, the last time he spoke to me, he sent somebody over with a card to ask me to invite some movie stars to a golf outing. Now, he wouldn't even talk to me, but I was doing consulting for uh, the show, uh, ABC show 187, Detroit mm-hmm. 187. We was at this big event. He showed up. Now, he was, don't even speak to me anymore, but he sends a guy by the name of Sidney Bogan, who I respect and love and taught me a lot, over to say, hey, Ira, 
Gary wanted them to come to this golf alley and so on. Didn't even invite me. They tell your friends, uh, you know, so and so, so and so, so and so. And I'm thinking like, wow, you know. I just so think I'm people just, forget. Yeah. You got yeah. a payout, two pensions. Yes. Still a co- and still and still still a paycheck. And let's not forget about narcotics. We won't talk about that today. We'll talk about that unless you want to throw it in there. No, we're well, not I've doing heard, that. Heard you those know? too. I don't know anything about well, it. Well, we don't do it. Guys, yo, 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 yo. No, no. Sorry, guys. We're not talking rumors about people. Not no, doing. not rumors. No, no, no. I'm just saying there were some things that happened. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. All right, I do want to ask you, because you mentioned uh, Detroit 187. I know you've worked on other um, you know, cop shows and movies, You've been even in front of the camera. Uh, most realistic uh, cop drama movie or TV show, in your opinion? Uh, Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. You know what other cop told me was the most? Which one? Barney Miller. <laughs> the fact that was okay, but now nah, Blue Bloods, Blue Bloods is, is real. They got they got the heart. I'm really? Okay. You, they got the lingo. Out. They 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 do it kind of right. I'm telling you, Blue Bloods. Which one has gotten it way wrong? Um, well, Detroit 187 actually didn't do real well. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. No, they, sorry, well. dude. That that one really sucks. They tried. Was like you know. Dude, every criminal, every I mean, criminal in that in that show was a white guy. Like, what <laughs> fucking Detroit is this? Hey, Charlie, you guys do crime too. <laughs> oh, a lot of crime, but not you, all of it. <laughs> they do it in like Brownstown and shit, man. You know, right, it's, they're right. scared to come to Detroit and do it. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, it was it could that show could have developed into a good show. But I think Blue Bloods is like one of my favorite shows. Uh, you know. Hey, Ira, what is the one eighty seven? Is um. California penal code for for murder. What is Michigan penal code for murder? Um, you know, and I, I suppose to know this. Wait a minute, I know we got ninety three hundred. No, ninety three hundred arrest. Ninety three thirty. Nope, that's lunch. I'm Point something, right? You <laughs> <He laughs> said it's lunch. Yeah, ninety three thirty. I think it's lunch. Ninety three hundred <laughs> is, is the arrest. I forget what murder is. Nine one one. No, I, I forget. It's like I forget. I know it's like a code that you put in when you put it in the computer. But I forget. It's just. Hey, you're retired. You don't need to know it anymore. I'm uh, telling you, man. Hey, it, it's, it's all out there somewhere. <laughs> what, what, do, what do residents need to know, uh, and what can they do to try to? Because you know, a couple people have commented, like you know, this is a conversation we've been talking about what. Uh, the police department needs and what needs to come from the city to actually make it better for officers and residents. What is it that you want residents to know uh, about what the city can and should do to make things better for everybody? Well, I, I think, honestly, and a lot of people might say this, this little band-aid approach, but I think you need more officers. I think you need a lot more officers. Mm. I think they should pay officers a decent salary and then they should teach officers to communicate better. I've, I've taught guys out of, I've talked my way out of fights. I've talked, the older I've gotten on the police department, the more I learned how to communicate with people. And you learn that, you know, to get somebody to do something, you don't have to slap them upside the head. Well, guess you what, teach, Ira? If these cops have to communicate better, I'm telling you, it'll work. Guess what, Ira? You can fucking forget about it. First, there's the defund the police movement. Then there's all the budgets in the country are broken. I'm afraid. I don't know. But, but, but that, that, that drives, they say all the, the budget is broken. You know, they take our pension, they do all this other kind of crap, but they build a new stadiums, they're doing all this stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. You Let know, me it's, wait, it's, it's, do that again. This is for the listener, and we're going to wrap up now. You're the guy in the street. Tell the people again about what they did with the money for the billion. 
Yeah, you know, they, well, I'm just saying, like, they build all these stadiums. They use taxpayers' money to build all these stadiums and all this other kind of stuff. And the only thing that the, a lot of the residents in the city of Detroit can do with these stadiums is go as work, work as workers and work part-time, minimum wage jobs. You know, a lot of people from the city that that that's on minimum wage jobs, they can't afford to go to that, that uh, stadium. So they build these stadiums with our tax money, some of their tax money, and we can't even afford to sit in those stadiums. And let me throw one police more. police officers... You know, but let me throw this in. None of the stadiums share their revenue. They don't yeah. share it with the city for cops. So right. it's it's a loser for the most of the people. And by the way, the code section for felony murder in Michigan is seven five zero point three one six, which is not really a sexy title no, for a not. TV that's show. Not cool. Detroit seven five zero point three one six. Not the same here. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, uh, 187 is the police code. We have a police code. That's a police code for fucking California because that was L.A. coming in here d- displaying Detroit. Give us the name of your TV show on Stars. Stars, Wrong Man. Stars, Please Wrong Man. It. When's the next uh, this season three? Season three, we're waiting on. We, we think we're going to get another season three, but because of this pandemic thing, you know, we don't know when it's going to start. Check so it out on Stars. You can find year. it on demand. You need to get Charlie on there, Ira. <laughs> I would I would love Charlie on there. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, my God. At the round table, too? <laughs> Wise-ass oh and reporter. We're ready when you are. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, brother, that was awesome. Thank you for joining us. I love you. Uh, I love you all out there. Everybody should try to love one another a little bit more. And put Good down thing the- you, Karen. You are a top-notch person always. I appreciate you. Thank you, Ira. You know, much love and respect always. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I love you, Karen. Love you too, guys. I'm going to tell my wife I love you. And I know you're not going to do it, but if you can, don't use your gun. Peace. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. We the boys. Hold on. We the boys.